Welcome to the baseline, everyone. Dr. Andrew Zivjets is a brave man. He's an extremely knowledgeable man. His life story is a remarkable one. He's a military veteran. He was a frontline doctor in Brooklyn during the height of COVID. He came under fire for challenging dehumanizing medical mandates. He has also been an activist speaking out against puberty blockers and child mutilation under the guise of gender affirming care. He is also living proof that the censorship regime on Twitter is still alive and well, as his account was recently shut down, losing 10,000 followers. Today we welcome to the baseline the principled and highly courageous Dr. Andrew Zivjets. Welcome to the baseline, Dr. Zivjets. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yes, yeah, my pleasure. Excellent. Now, first of all, I have to say, to everyone here, this is kind of an interesting interview in that I've gotten to know Dr. Zivjets just a little bit. We met on a Twitter space, and I was very impressed with his response, and I immediately invited him to be a guest on this program, and he followed up with me. And uh, here we are um, doing that interview that we discussed, I don't know, a month or two ago. But um, I've had the pleasure of being um, in various Twitter spaces with Dr. Zivjets, and we sort of had each other's back. So, you know, we, we know each other a little bit. Unlike some of the guests who I've never spoken with at all, I've just invited them on the program. I've gotten a chance to talk with Dr. Zivjets, and I feel that um, he is a powerhouse, but sort of a little bit of an undiscovered powerhouse on the medical freedom scene. He hasn't promoted himself maybe as avidly as others um, in looking for interviews to reference. Um, there's not enough interviews, in my opinion, with Dr. Zivjets, considering all that he has to say. But uh, I'm very glad that you're here. And um, I would like to jump right into the action, Dr. Zivjets. Tell me what was going on in your life, what you observed, and what you experienced in March of 2020 when global pandemic was announced and the world got dumped on its head, as I like to say. What, where were you at that time and, and what happened? So uh, March of 2020, actually, I, I was still in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I was teaching for the USMLE boards, uh, awaiting um, my residency position in New York. Um, and then during, I think June, beginning of June, I actually moved up to Brooklyn, New York, and started working. Um, so kind of walked right into the pandemic uh, right after right after uh, med school. I graduated in 2019, then, like I said, spent a year teaching. Uh, and then first first year in, uh, walked into the, the global scamdemic, as, as I'll call it. Um, <clears throat> so it was, it was really interesting off, you know, off the bat. We, you know, there weren't a lot of things being closed down or shut down in Florida. Um, so going from a place that was 
fairly fairly open. They shut down the beaches for a short period of time, but opened everything up pretty quickly. Uh, going from that into like the complete tyranny of New York, where you know it was it was masking. It was I mean it, it hadn't gone completely overboard quite yet in the beginning, if I recall. Um, but still, it was it was walking into a, a completely different world um, after you know after the 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 scamdemic stuff hit. In the first six months, if, if you recall, the CDC released uh, information regarding mortality and, you know, resolution of disease and all of those things. And it was almost 99%, uh, 98 and change, uh, people that were, you know, either completely resolved, uh, no mortality, no, no morbidity, no issues. Um, and that the only people that were suffering from any long-term effects or from death or anything like that were, you know, the people that you would expect, uh, you know, elderly, immunocompromised, uh, people with diabetes that's weakening the immune system, people with uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, you know, heart failure, COPD, uh, you know, other issues, other issues that would be related and, uh, you know, chronically comorbid with these kind of things, the same kind of issues you'd see in patients that get the flu, uh, you know, it, where you'd see death from the flu or something, it'd usually be one of these issues. Uh, so it wasn't really affecting anybody um, that was healthy. It certainly wasn't affecting the youth. And, you know, my, my specialty, my expertise is in pediatrics. Um, it definitely wasn't affecting our youth and we weren't seeing much of anything happening with them. Uh, so it was, it was really interesting, uh, from my perspective, when they started pushing masking mandates on pediatrics and then family mandates on, you know, only one parent's allowed to be with them. Uh, and then even, even the injections. Right. <clears throat> yeah. That's a lot of stuff there. And as far as I would like to mention the mask stuff a little bit, because sure. that's something that, um, I think it's more significant than people would admit. I mean, it's something that gets dismissed as, oh, well, you just had to wear a little mask. What's the big deal? Well, I think it's actually quite a big deal when authority figures are telling you that you have to walk around with an object on your face and it's against the rules to not do so. And if you think that that's okay to follow that order for, what, a week or a month or even a few months or even a year, when would you say it's okay to resist that order if you don't feel comfortable doing that or you've researched it and realized it's not helpful at all. And uh, there's also a lot of negative drawbacks health-wise um, that were, does not really get discussed in general. Like, for example, um, it harms the microbiome of the mouth. I had a dentist say, yeah, there's more tooth decay since mask wearing started. The, the, the mouth is supposed to ventilate. First of all, there is the issue of inhaling the synthetic fibers deep into your lungs. There's an article about that. Synthetic fibers found deep in the lungs of mask wearers. There's the issue of the fact that the mask doesn't prevent the spread of respiratory ailments at all. And people often say, oh, well, um, you know, why do they wear them in the hospitals then? Well, n hopefully not under the misconception that it's stopping the spread of respiratory ailments. The purpose, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Zivjets, is a mask in any way misunderstood by the medical community or was it prior to this event misunderstood to be an air filtration system? It's sort of to me like uh, pouring water through a sock and claiming that I, I filtered my water. Well, it's, I mean, these things are ju were just complete foolishness. And that it's amazing to me that the medical community at large is so 
poorly educated on any of this information uh, because this, this number one it's common sense but if you went to med school you can take it another level and go into a whole lot of other things but common sense at its finest uh, first and foremost surgical masks are are not used for this way generally speaking surgical masks are are used for a very specific purpose you go into an operating theater or something like that you don't want uh, bacteria from your mouth uh, entering any of the surgical sites or anything like that you want a clean sterile field um, so, and, and when you're looking at the size ratio of, let's say, a bacteria in your mouth getting out versus a viral particle getting in, uh, number one, a viral particle is uh, tiny, right? Uh, extremely small. It's a small strand of RNA or DNA, which is infinitely small. You know, there's six billion base pairs of DNA inside of the nucleus. Um, secondarily, so it, it is a little bit larger, you know, between five and 10 microns generally because it has, it has a coat, right? Um, so, the, but the fact of the matter is, number one, um, you know, they don't, they, the surgical masks are mass produced, right? They're not looking at, at the, at the windows, the mesh framework of the windows. Um, and, and I, I say mesh colloquially, they're not technically mesh mass. Um, but, but the threads, the fibers, right, have, have gigantic gaps in windows in them and they're, they're mass manufactured. So it's not under any specific protocol, uh, to be able to, uh, test these things. So yeah, it's kind of like saying, uh, you put up a, you know, a, I don't know, a soccer net and that it's going to trap the air or something like that. It was kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, you know, let's not even talk about the fact that, you know, forcing people to mask up, uh, you know, in the hospital, out of the hospital, in the streets, all of that is, is just nonsense in the first place. It's against autonomy. Um, but, it actually has a, a great deal of negative effects, especially for pediatrics. And when, you know, when I'm looking at this, a lot of what I look at is from the lens of pediatrics because that's our most vulnerable population along with the elderly. Right. Um, so, number one, it, you know, wearing, wearing a mask is going to hinder speech. Right. So when children are little, they're they're listening. They are, uh, you know, developing their hearing, developing their speech. In order to develop both of those things, you need to be able to hear clearly. You need to be able to speak clearly. The mask obviously is a separation barrier that creates a, a big problem with hearing and with speaking. And seeing um, the teacher enunciate the words, which is a part of well, linguistics. That's, an, that's another thing. You're covering you're covering the patient's face or the child's face. Um, you know, so there's the issue of not being able to, you know, read that language, but further not being able to read expressions, not yeah. being able to read emotions, not being able to read, uh, you know, those kinds of things that, that plays a big role in neurocognition and emotional development of children. So there was that effect, uh, taking children out of schools, uh, you know, this, and, and I actually wrote about this. Um, I wrote a paper on this, uh, at, in the very beginning. Uh, like this is going to have negative effects on anxiety, on uh, emotional development, on depression ratios, uh, all of this kind of stuff. And as we've seen, lo and behold, no shock, uh, this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Now, not to mention, you know, wearing a mask creates kind of a baffling effect and, and you know, limits the ability of the mucociliary escalator to clear out the air. Taking deep breaths, being able to breathe, is what allows you to wash that air through the mucociliary escalator system, through the IgA, through the cilia, to trap any bad particles so that they can be expelled from or expectorated from the body. Um, you know, so it, it deeply 
circumvents natural immune processes. Uh, then there's the issue of, you know, people taking their mask off, putting their mask on, putting it in their pocket, putting it on a bench, putting it on a desk. You know, for anybody that hasn't worked in a research lab, it, it you know, it might have seemed appropriate, but it just looked completely foolish to anybody who understands anything about sterility in the first place. Um, so all of this, you know, all of this was behavior modification. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with uh, the with the with the disease or with the uh, respiratory illness. Right. Yeah. And I, I just think it's really important that we shouldn't be doing things at any point in an unquestioning manner. If we do things, if we're taking intentional actions, it should be based on something that's remotely intelligent and not something that's absurd and ridiculous. But um, I wanted to get into my personal history a little bit, which is something I actually don't like to do in general, which is it kind of annoys me. Sorry if you're someone who does this, but I always find it weird when people on social media go into their medical history and say, oh, I went to the doctor today and X, Y, and Z. I mean, you know, it's actually different for the vaccine injured who actually have people following their pages and people who are in touch with other vaccine injured people. But I mean, prior to COVID, I'm not the type of person who runs to the internet to tell you about the conversation that I had with my doctor. But I do want to share with the audience my own personal experience because I think it might um, inform others. And it takes me back to when I met you in a Twitter space, Dr. Jivjets, and you, you gave me a response that was very clarifying. So I want to sort of recollect that and recreate that discussion a little bit for this audience. And basically the story goes like this. I went to a new doctor and the doctor said, oh, yeah, you're, you're in good health, man. You, you, everything seems to be okay, except we, I noticed in, in our blood test that um, you have a little bit of a, an anemia issue going on. You're slightly anemic. Now, I don't think it's anything to be too concerned about, but we want to look into that, at which point he sent me to an oncologist, which was concerning. I said, wait, oncology, that's like for cancer and stuff. Why, why would you send me there? I mean, I don't feel weak. I didn't go to him reporting any symptoms. I mean, I'm physically fit. I I exercise on a regular basis. And um, I went to the oncologist and immediately I got, uh, I guess an appointment was made for me to go and get my body scanned for cancer. I was like, wow, that's pretty scary that they would even think they need to do that. And I drank this, what turns out to be some sort of radioactive liquid Um, You have to drink that, then you wait 30 minutes, then I drank another bottle, they scanned me, they said, hey, you have no cancer, that's good news, but now, and the doctor said, now we need to do a bone marrow biopsy. I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. I I had the appointment scheduled, but I looked into it, I said, wait a second, that's a dangerous procedure. It leaves, I think, 3% of people with some sort of lasting injury. Not everyone heals properly, recovers properly. It's very painful. So why would you do something so invasive when I'm physically fit and I feel well? And furthermore, I'll add that both my original doctor that I mentioned and the oncologist had zero medical recommendations or health recommendations for me. I said, well, is there anything I could eat or any sort of thing I should avoid eating or what, what can I do to reverse this on my own? They just oh, well, we don't know. We don't know. We just need to keep testing you. And I never got the bone marrow biopsy done. And I explained this whole situation to you, if you recall, in that Twitter space where we met. And you gave me a very good explanation that made a whole heck of a lot of sense to me in terms of that was unnecessary what they did to me. And how would you describe all of that? 
I would describe that as par for the course of medicine, uh, because this is kind of what it's turned into these days. Uh, instead of, you know, let's, let's just break it down in the beginning. You came in, uh, you know, you had a checkup and you had a low iron. So the first thing that they should have done is looked at, looked at the MCV, which is the volume of the, the RBC. Uh, most commonly, especially in, uh, in African Americans, uh, because the sun, because of the sunlight and, and the vitamin D and all, and all sorts of other things. But the issue is, if you don't have high iron, you're going to have microcytic anemia. Now, you didn't have any symptomatology, right? You didn't have any uh, weakness, any fatigue, any tiredness, any pallor, um, any dizziness, lightheaded, nothing. Yeah, right? none that, of those that, things. And actually, I, I do fairly intensive workouts. Like, I'm not a professional athlete or anything, but I, I do lots lots of chin-ups. I do, you know, pretty intensive exercise. I do kung fu every Saturday. I mean, I used to do it three days a week, but now I'm a family man, so only once a week. But I don't, I'm the type of guy, I don't like to show any fatigue. I like to pretend like I'm an Iron Man and that I could just go on forever. Sure, right. Well, I mean, so what, what I mean is that, like, you know, there's no symptomatology, first and foremost. Uh, so, like, I mean, cancer is a, is a really far stretch. But secondarily, a lot of people have uh, iron deficiency anemia. All they need uh, to see that is that you're anemic, so your hemoglobin is low, and your, and your MCV, which tells you whether it's microcytic, normocytic, or macrocytic anemia. Now, if it's microcytic, which it was in your case, um, all you really need to do is try some iron. In, the first thing that somebody should be asking you is, what is your diet? Do you have a very specific diet? Are you not eating meat, nuts, uh, you know, iron-fortified foods, things of that nature? Uh, that's the very first thing uh, that you should do. Uh, you know, increase your iron supplementation, maybe eat more red meat. Um, you know, even vitamin C can be recommended. Um, you know, this is very simple stuff. You don't, what you don't do is you don't refer somebody to oncology uh, for this, uh, to get total body irradiation and, you know, a, a dose of, um, a large dose of radiation. And then, you know, when that comes back normal, right, they gave you a contrast CT and while, you know, contrast can have, you know, slight damage to the, to the kidneys as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then they irradiate you. And then when that comes back normal, they're saying, Hey, you know, now we want to do a bone marrow biopsy. To me, that sounds like, that sounds like sales. Uh, to me, that sounds like, you know, keeping you and giving you more and more invasive tests and worse tests without addressing the most basic thing that any physician should be able to address in the first place. And, you know, it's in some strange way, this is where we have arrived. Um, this is where we have arrived. And, you know, I treat heavily, you know, very heavily from a naturopathic standpoint. You know, I had the, I had the distinct pleasure of learning from uh, physicians in multiple different countries, uh, both in Grenada and the Czech Republic, uh, where they don't do all of these crazy wild tests. Uh, they don't require all of these uh, expensive things. They treat based on knowledge, mm. uh, which, which is something, uh, once again, which just seems lost. Yeah, and, and to round off the story, to let you know, I'm no longer anemic. That's been confirmed in a couple of blood tests. And it was actually my previous guest on the baseline, my friend Anoush Tertalian, who talked with us about Armenia um, a few weeks ago. I mentioned to her, this was several years ago now, I mentioned to her that I was slightly anemic. And she said, eat beets. And as far as yeah. I know, the beets cured the anemia. I, I get a little beet, you know, some beets from the salad bar. You know, I'll get beets in a juice form. Beet and cherry is a great combination. But, yeah, I basically, I, I listened to my friend's advice that two medical professionals were unable to provide me with, and it was my friend who cured me 
not all this invasive stuff that they had me lined up for. So now I would love Dr. Zivjet to get into the discussion of vaccines in general. And let me just set the stage a little bit, which is I've made it clear on this program, I was not a quote unquote anti-vaxxer prior to COVID. Uh, my wife and I had the mentality that, well, you know, vaccines are legitimate science and whatnot, and we didn't want to get all of the extensive vaccines. The, the vaccine schedule seemed a bit excessive, but we believed in vaccines and had both been vaccinated in our childhoods. However, um, now that the curtain has been drawn and we see, wait a second, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here that's really not copacetic here. Um, I've lost faith in the medical establishment. I have total distrust of big pharma and their profit-making agenda. And I do at this point question the legitimacy of vaccinology and the need for vaccines in general. I wonder, well, would society fall apart if people didn't receive all these various vaccines that we've been told are a cornerstone of civilization? Now, I've heard you speak favorably of certain vaccines in a previous interview, but I think in a Twitter space recently, um, you spoke a little bit more critically of vaccines in general than I think the sentiment you expressed in a previous interview. Have you changed your, your view on vaccines and vaccinology at all? How would you characterize your stance as it pertains to vaccines sure. in general, and then we'll get to COVID vaccines? So I think I think at this point in time, we have to look back and we have to question every single vaccine that has ever been uh, created. So, I mean, when you look at and, and this is the way science works, right? You you new things come to light and you have to you have to look at everything. At this point, I would be I, I will I will never um, at this point right now, I will not recommend a vaccine to anybody for any reason. None of them. Um, because at this point we don't know what is poison and what isn't poison. And I, my, my thinking on researching a lot of these things has shifted fundamentally. Um, when we look back and we see where the pharmaceutical industry started with Rockefeller and, 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 uh, petrochemicals and all of these things, it kind of sets a really dark stage for where the pharmaceutical industries have, have come. And uh, I'll preface this by saying I already don't trust big pharma. Right. Um, when we look at, you know, the most one of the most commonly prescribed medications, especially right when you walk into an emergency department for, for nearly anything with a fever, uh, they're giving you Tylenol. Right. Tylenol is number one is the is the leading cause of uh, accidental overdose death in the United States. Uh, and it's something we see overdose in a very, a very large amount. We see a lot of liver damage from it. It has a lot of labels and warnings from it. Um, and you know, the body naturally produces a fever, right? There's a reason. It upregulates your immune system. It upregulates your enzymatic processes. It downregulates and, and weakens the pathogen. Uh, your body knows what it's doing. And anybody that works in emergency medicine knows that the body knows what it's doing. You're supposed to fight with it. So, you know, obliterating a fever just maintains illness for a longer period of time in a patient, all while being a drug that actually causes a lot of damage in the body, especially with excessive use. And it is, you know, one of the most, you know, widely used and easily accessible drugs in the United States, along with ibuprofen, which causes gastritis and, and uh, other NSAIDs that cause the like. Um, so pharmaceuticals um, are already problematic. Statins, for example, right? 
Um, cholesterol is required for aldosterone to regulate your blood pressure. It's required for estrogen and testosterone to, to regulate uh, libido and endocrinology. It's, it's, it's required for uh, cortisol, which is probably the most, in my opinion, the most important uh, hormone in the body, uh, the stress hormone. So cholesterol is required for all of these. Cholesterol is required for lipid wraps in every single cell in the entire body. Your liver naturally synthesizes cholesterol uh, as LDL to, to travel and give to your entire body and naturally retrieves cholesterol as HDL. This good and bad cholesterol thing is nonsense. Mm. Uh, and there are you know thousands upon thousands of doctors that will easily agree on these topics. So pharmaceutical industries are already probably when we look at the vaccine, especially, you know, during COVID, it, it opened it opened the door uh, for for a lot more skepticism with these vaccines because when you think basically about it, you know, trying to prime your body for an illness that you may or may not see in the future someday possibly, and a weak a weak primer as well. Um, that doesn't last for long and that is nowhere near as robust as natural immunity, uh, the, the risks, in my opinion, outweigh any of the potential benefits. Um, you know, and you hear people talk about, oh, well, what about measles? Like, or well, what about something like that? Um, you know, once again, risk, risk versus benefit ratio, I don't, I don't agree with it. And the fact that they try to push these so heavily, and the herd immunity hypothesis and things like that are deeply concerning uh, to me. People... People in med school, they don't, you know, doctors don't learn what's in vaccines. Doctors don't learn that aluminum is in vaccines and that it's been in vaccines for a long time as a preservative and that we see aluminum deposits in the brains of Alzheimer's patient, patients, that we've seen the skyrocketed increase in autism, uh, you know, since the, since the, what, the 90s when there was, what, eight, eight or nine vaccines on the schedule. Now there's uh, between 70 and 90 doses of vaccine on the schedule before the age of 18. Uh, just thinking about it from a common sense standpoint, how afraid of the actual world are we uh, where you have to get 70 to 90 doses of vaccination before the age of 18 just to prime you to be able to walk around and breathe the air uh, and be able to interact with your natural environment? It's, uh, it's a fear-mongering tactic, and it makes billions and billions of dollars. And if you follow the money and the science, uh, I'm going to say that I don't agree with any of the vaccines at this point. Wow. Well, that's a powerful statement, and you really state it very clearly. Um, well, I want to, before we get into this topic that we have not ventured into on this program yet, I do want to mention that we would like to ask you for support of this program. Um, you can support my Substack. Please become a subscriber. Subscribe for free. If you can be a paid subscriber, that's greatly appreciated. Um, go to jeremiahhosea.com, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A.com. There's a bunch of songs right there, right at the home page. Click on one of them, take a listen. There's some, some jazzy stuff, some funky stuff, some rocking stuff. I'm pretty diverse in my sound, but there's a lot of great musicians that were featured on my music. And uh, I'd appreciate support in that manner. I'm also a chess teacher. I would be very happy to give you or a family member of any experience level a chess lesson. I teach chess every day. Dr. Zivjets is actually quite a good chess player, too. We had one game online. He, uh, he went easy on me. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I barely uh, escaped that event. But... Um, also, I want to mention Dr. Zivjets also has a sub stack, 
and uh, go to substack.com. His name is spelled, check this out, Z-Y-W-I-E-C. So please seek out the substack of Dr. Andrew Zivjets. Um, he surprised me actually in his poetic style. His, he, he wrote some really phenomenal stuff that, that almost it reads like prose, which I was very, um, I was very impressed by that because I'm used to him as such a decisive technical thinker based on our other discussions. But um, his, his writing is insightful, it's poetic, and um, please go to his Substack. I actually have to tell you guys, I, I don't mean to badger you guys because I love every one of you who have supported this program. Anyone who's listening right now, I appreciate it so deeply that you're taking the time to listen. But I would like the, the support to be a little bit more resounding. And I don't just mean in the form of monetary support. I mean, for example, if I take the time to interview like Dr. Kimberly Biss, for example, and she gave a really straightforward reply to all of my answers, very educational, very informative for any concerned citizen, I don't want that article just sitting there at 29 likes. Come on, guys, there's hundreds of people listening right now. Please jump in there and give me my 30th like and maybe even share it manually, share it via text message and say, hey, look, this cat is doing some pretty good citizen journalism. Let's support him. Go go like bomb his sub stack. Go share it with others. I would love, as I've said on previous occasion, and sorry for I don't mean to make a pun, but I would like to move the needle a little bit and uh, just be noticeable in our ability to affect the medical freedom conversation in a, in a meaningful way. But having said all of that, I, that was my promotional segment in the middle of this uh, listener-sponsored program. Dr. Zivjets, you have been courageous. You have taken some heat. You've, you've been under fire for speaking out against what I believe is ludicrously mistitled gender-affirming care. How did you get into this struggle? Um, I, I guess just, you know, speaking the truth uh, will get you pretty much banned from anything these days. Um, apparently, you know, gender-affirming care is a big thing in New York, and uh, it's a big thing in any liberal city, and let's just call it what it is. It's delusional disorder. Uh, you know, a false fixed belief that is not consistent with anything in reality. Um, and, you know, it's, we can go very, very deep down the rabbit hole uh, on, on a lot of things about this, you know, so-called gender-affirming care. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, as a physician, you know, they are trying to force this down everybody's throats, not, not only doctors, but the AAP and the, the larger bodies, because it is a money-making machine. Uh, and it's also engaging the youth. Uh, in in many many ways, so I mean it's it's working for in every way for the system to divide people. It's destroying families. It's dissolving the nuclear family unit. And at the end of the day, what it really is is the pharmacological castration and surgical mutilation of children, um, which which is absolutely appalling on every single level. Now in New York, the majority of physicians are extremely liberal. Um, actually, you know, across the board, most physicians tend to be more liberal than conservative, which has never been too much of a problem. Uh, but we're seeing why it's becoming a massive problem. Um, I took Chloe Cole's story um, 
to leadership at one point and showed them, you know, a, a 12-year-old girl who was put on puberty blockers and hormones uh, that had a double mastectomy done at 15 years of age. And her story is not unique. There are many of them like this. Uh, it's just she was the first story I'd ever heard of this happening to. I, was, I completely was caught off guard. I didn't even realize this was a thing. Uh, and I brought it to my leadership. And uh, one, of, one of the people in my leadership said, she got what she deserved. She's an activist. This is, a, this is a pediatrician, mind you. This is a wow. doctor in a, in a position of leadership, which was absolutely appalling and disgusting on every single level. And I came to find out that all of my peers uh, were, 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 like, calling me a racist and a Nazi and a bigot and a transphobe. And they all, you and know. How, and let me ask you, I heard you make that remark before. How does race yeah. tie into this? I mean, how, how do they just go and grab that one? You know, well, I think because once once you go against them in any way, shape, or form, first and foremost, I went against everything with COVID, right? And right. just to backtrack a little bit, um, you know, everybody in my entire uh, hospital was hardcore pro-vaccine, especially the COVID vaccine, mask up, you know, let's, you know, bend over, essentially. Branch and, COVID. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I showed these people research. We actually had a patient, but like a six-month-old uh, patient uh, or eight-month-old that, that the only insult or um, thing in the past was the COVID vaccine that developed rapid supervalvular aortic stenosis to moderate regurg out of nowhere, which is unheard of. Uh, so I did an M&M lecture on it, proved that it was actually uh, COVID. They didn't want to believe it. Uh, showed research that, you know, shows the directed evolution for purposes of viral enhancement, the zoonotic infections, uh, the targeting of certain organ systems that they've done in research labs. This is all published research. It's open source. Uh, the graphene nanotech uh, that creates a permeability at the blood-brain barrier that will, you know, likely allow things in. Uh, the the Christfield Jakob disease, the prion-like disease uh, they, that they're seeing, even in the even in the path reports of you know of COVID vaccine patients and things like that. You know, I sh- you could show them research and information until they're blue in the face and just talk to them normally about uh, all of the mandates and how those defy patient autonomy. Uh, the fact that. You know, they didn't have any adverse risk profiles that they fast-tracked phase one, phase two, and phase three trials and didn't release all the data or adverse events. Uh, You can't get autonomy out of a patient if you can't explain adverse events and risks and alternatives to them when you're just forcing something on them. So, I mean, it was amazing. So I was already called crazy and tinfoil hat and stuff like that already. Um, And then when I came out against... uh, Gender when I heard care. about gender affirming care happening, because I didn't even know this was a thing in med school, you know, in med school, you learn about gender dysphoria. It affects 0.01% of the population, give mm-hmm. or take. Uh, it's, you know, it used to be called gender identity disorder, uh, changed in the DSM in the 90s because of, you know, they thought the nomenclature was too harsh. Uh, it usually affected young females, five to seven, that resolved with puberty. Uh, so that's what you learn about in med school. So you don't really think it's a thing that's happening. When I found out this was happening, and then I found out it was happening in pediatrics, I immediately, you know, came out and, and just came against it. Uh, and all of them, you know, once they throw one thing at you, oh, you're transphobic, then all the other things happen too. Oh, you're racist, you're transphobic, you're a bigot, you're a not, anything that they can say. Any right, like, um, it's like the Justin Trudeau comments about the yeah. unvaccinated they're they're often racist and misogynist and it's like, what does that have to do with me not wanting an unnecessary medical intervention like what kind well, of weird really, nonsense it was really is that? interesting it was really interesting you know i i told them I, you know i tried to you know 
appeal to the science of simple things. You know, it's unfortunate having to explain the difference between a male and a female to doctors right. who should probably know better. Um, but, you know, I, I told them, look, uh, let's, you know, let, let's say muscle strength, size, uh, you know, fat, fat, right? Males, are, males have like 15 to 20 percent fat, females 25 to 30 percent fat. Uh, men are on average taller, uh, more bone density, more muscle mass. Uh, men have a, you know, men have a larger cranial vault. So the, in neurology, I did my master's in neuro. So, you know, the brain, the brain of the average male is 10% larger by weight and volume. They took those comments and they said, well, you're misogynistic. You're calling women dumb. Right. And I'm I'm like, well, no, no, no. I'm I'm explaining, I'm explaining the the difference in the size of the brain. And you know what else? You're also a sexist. If you think that the world's strongest man happens to be stronger than the world's strongest woman. Exactly. Uh, so it's just, you know, they throw these, they hurl these insults out uh, like it's candy because they're not doctors. They're activists. And let's be honest, they are butchers and psychopaths and lunatics. Yeah. Uh, anybody, anybody that carries out and perpetrates these things against children deserves to be in a prison cell or worse. Um, and, and that's another thing that they really hate me for because I don't mince my words and I don't twist them. Yeah. Um, I believe that anybody who is pharmacologically castrating and surgically mutilating children belongs in a cell or in a box in the ground. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that that's actually a, I don't think that that's a really inflammatory thing to say, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I have to tell you and just, you know, for clarification's sake, listen, everyone, I don't mean to offend everyone. I respect everybody's right to exist on the planet. I will defend every human being's right to be unharassed, unassaulted, and I'm very adamant about that. You know, if somebody's a little different than you, don't don't ostracize that person. You know, I don't believe in bullying. I believe in in confronting bullies. Um, I believe in everyone feeling safe, everyone feeling respected. That being said, especially as a father of two young children, there is an ideological campaign going on, and it's beyond concerning. It's beyond suspicious. It's beyond strange. Now, let me say what I mean. I was a chess coach for a summer camp. Don't need to mention where or any of the details, but I was a chess coach at a summer camp, and they have a giant uh rainbow flag with now the new transgender triangle which has been inserted onto the rainbow flag and it was waving on a flagpole in front of the camp which i don't have a problem with any particular group or even any particular symbol but why do you put that over a children's camp it wasn't a camp for gay or transgendered kids i mean we're talking about children as young as four and five all the way up to middle school why is that pervasive You know, I had a discussion with uh, my good friend and former co-host of this program and guest of The Baseline, my good friend, uh, a regular listener, would be familiar with my friend Craig Blue by now. And we were talking about this years ago, and I was about to teach after school, as I did every day at that time, and he made a great point, which is, he said, look, it's not a matter of homophobic or anything like that. Please don't discuss heterosexual homosexual, really anything sexual with my elementary school age child because they don't know what sex is and they're not supposed to. So it's always this knee-jerk thing to say, oh, you're transphobic, you're homophobic. No, no, no. I don't believe that that content should be presented to elementary school children. I believe the focus should be literacy, 
mathematics. Once everyone's literate, right, they can form their own opinions. They can read avidly and, and, and delve into these subjects as well as, as they would like to. But what I'm saying is when you go to a school, and this was right after I had my conversation with Craig Blue, I went to teach as I did every day of the week at that time. You get to the school and I was, oh, wait a second. Yeah, they have the big, this is before they inserted the triangle the transgender triangle to add on to the rainbow. But this is just the rainbow flag, big rainbow flag at the um, entrance of the school pretty much. Right there, there are elevators, big rainbow flag. Go up to the fifth floor to pick up the kids from um, the cafeteria, rainbow flag on the fifth floor. Uh, between the fifth floor and the seventh floor, teacher gets on the elevator, rainbow flag around the neck. Go upstairs, rainbow flag on the seventh floor. Go into the classroom, rainbow flag. What's the deal with that? Why is this so pervasive? And I noticed they don't have a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. anywhere. I didn't see a picture of Rosa Parks. I didn't see a picture of any number of people that you might want to recognize as historic uh, social figures. So to me, there's clearly an agenda afoot, and I call it the disproportionate discussion of transgenderism as well, because... Um, again, with all due respect to everyone's life and, and choices and whatnot, we have some really basic problems in our community. So why are certain things being discussed in such a disproportionate way when we need safer, cleaner playgrounds for our kids? We need safer neighborhoods. We need better public transportation. We need better access to food. There are large numbers of people in this country who live in what we call food deserts. They don't have access to clean food and clean water. Um, Flint, Michigan, which got publicity for its water crisis, is actually only one of many, many cities all around this country that do not have reliably clean water sources for their citizens. So in light of all of that, how does this other stuff get discussed so disproportionately? I think it makes no sense, and I think it clearly um, leads to... Uh, you know, to, again, a profit motive. So, and I just want to say quickly, um, if anyone wants to join us, because we haven't discussed this topic before, and I'd love to hear someone's opinion, if they could keep it organized and concise, of course, you can reach us at 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. If you'd like to talk to Dr. Andrew Zivjets, please give us a call. But, um, what are your comments about what I was just saying, Dr. Zivjets? So I think that anybody that hasn't, you know, kind of pulled the veil uh, away from their eyes needs to really take a deep look at all of these things. Obviously, the government is not concerned with any of those issues. They're still concerned with the divide and conquer. Um, and, you know, this was, this was a power grab. You know, people, people look at me like I have three heads when I tell them World War III started in 2019, and the, world's gonna, the war is going to be over before people even realize that it happened. Uh, because, you know, we've known for a very long time that the next war wouldn't be nuclear, that it would be biochemical. We've used biochemical weapons since, I mean, well, we've used them since the 1920s, right, since World War I. Um, uh, but, I mean, bio, biological weapons have been used in ancient history forever. You know, they used to throw the carcass of rotting animals into, into cities and things like that because it is a bio, it's a biological weapon, technically, uh, that will spread virus and disease. 
you know, we've used sarin gas. We've used, uh, you know, multiple things. I believe that MERS was biochemical in nature, um, which I think that the, the, the furthered study, they've been studying the COVID stuff since the 1960s. The patents for COVID, there's patents for the vaccines and since, I think, 2014, even back into the 90s. Um, you know, there's, there's a paper trail 10 miles long that this was a biochemical weapon, and we knew that this, the next time there, a war was perpetrated for any reason, uh, the power grab, land, anything like that, it would have been biochemical in nature, or it would be a war of communication and a war of knowledge and, and propaganda. Uh, we knew that it wouldn't be, generally speaking, nuclear. Right. We've, we've kind of known that for a long time. So that's one of the first things I'll start with is that this, you know, we I believe that we are a nation at war. Um, and if not, I mean, look around you in the world. The whole world tends to is, is literally at war right now in all sorts of locations. Um, but when you when you look back at history, you know, you can look at, you know, Mao in, in communist China erased genders. Right. He erased genders because it is easier to control a society that has nothing to fight for. What is what what you want to take away from somebody will be the nuclear family unit. If you can take their loved ones and their children away from them, if you can get them to give up those things to the government, then they will give up anything because they don't truly have anything deep and deep and necessary to fight for, especially if you give them food, entertainment uh, and and things of that nature, beer, bread and gladiators. Right. Um, Which now would be beer, bread and football or, or Taylor Swift or something like that. Uh, you're talking about Rome, right? This is this is what happened to Rome, and look what happened to Rome in the days of its its crumbling. Look what happened to the moral decay, which is the first thing that signals the complete collapse of a society and an empire. Um, if you look at the the radical 70s, right, the the sexual revolution and the drug revolution and freedom, this is when a lot of the the more extreme liberals got placed into positions of power in the institutions and in our schools. Uh, a lot of the Nazis from World War II got placed into our institutions of science and NASA and medicine. Um, so it's not shocking that these things are all trickling down at this point. Uh, and you know, people will say it's conspiracy, but you know, you can look at the the crack the crack epidemic, which was placed into minority populations to remove men from the homes. Uh, you can look at the HIV. Uh, you know, epidemic. Uh, you can look at all of these things and see how it's always perpetrated to demonize and villainize men, remove them from the home, uh, promote radical feminism, pornography, freedom of sex, freedom of drugs, freedom of all of these things, uh, freedom of abortion, which has killed more African American children in uh, New York than have been born in the last 50 years. Wow. Uh, you know, and Margaret Sanger was the founder of that. She oh, yeah, got, and by the way, Margaret Sanger was canceled by Planned Parenthood. <laughs> yeah, and you know, she was a, you know, she was a eugenist Nazi who essentially got you know, I mean, if you look at the rates of abortion in, in the African-American community, and I'm not saying it's just African-Americans, but if we look at that singly, it's a genocide in and of itself. Some white eugenist Nazi got black people to abort their own children and genocide themselves in the name of freedom. I mean, it's, it's evil genius uh, on her part, like for, for her cause. Yeah. It's, uh, it's disgusting, uh, but unbelievably effective. Um, and and this is what we're seeing. Like this is where we've come as a society. And like you said, we're not. Nobody's worried about you know reading and writing. And uh, we're seeing the moral decay of our society. And you know I'm connecting a lot of dots here. I apologize for any. No, I, I'm following you. I think you're, it's very cogent what you're saying. 
Yeah, so I mean, there's just there's so much to it. Um, I'm actually I'm actually like putting together a series of books on all of these topics to try and connect all the dots. But I mean, we could go back two thousand years. You know, we can go back to the days of Rome. There is nothing new under the sun. Empires exist the way they exist for power. Uh, we see this kind of collective power and how you know slavery is implemented. And it's not you know nobody's nobody's walking around in chains anymore. However. Uh, you know the chains are the chains are invisible. The hardest person to convince that they that they're a slave is a slave who doesn't believe it. And uh, we've all become slaves to consumerism. We've all become slaves to a to a very fat and fed society. Um, and it's gone downhill very quickly. And we're seeing all of these things converge at once. We're watching the medical system collapse under its own weight because they are trying to indoctrinate things uh, that are that go against every grain of nature, that go against every grain of common sense. We're seeing it happen in our government, uh, where you know you look at these politicians and listen to them speak, and it seems like they live on a different planet. They're so out of touch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're we're I, I do believe we're you know we're watching the crumbling. Uh, you know of our society in in this uh, in this moment. I wish I could disagree. We have Brenda from New Jersey on the line. Brenda, can you hear me? Yes. Good afternoon, Jeremiah. I just want to preface this by saying it's delightful to hear you on the air. You're definitely an asset to the radio. Well, I appreciate um, that greatly. Thank you. Yes, I've been thinking about this a long time since I've heard heard you previously on other shows, but. Um, as a as a grandmother, I'm very concerned about my grandchildren, and I know that they're forced to get certain um, vaccines. Is there a certain uh, anything that you can take to counteract this mercury and all the other slugs that's put into the vaccines? And how do you find a, a, what venue would you be able to find a good uh, holistic pediatrician? Two good questions. Any recommendations there, Dr. Zivjets? Well, I can't hear you very well all of a sudden. I don't know why uh, your your voice is extremely low in my headphones all of a sudden. Um, can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear you, but it just sounds very far away. Can you hear, uh, Brenda, can you hear Dr. Zivjets? Yes, I hear both of you well. Oh, really? Okay. For some reason, I don't hear Dr. Zivjets well. But yeah, Dr. Zivjets, if you can hear me. Um, uh, is he available to see patients? Yes, I am. Okay, very good. So we're going to get that information across. But yeah, what, what uh, Brenda was saying, uh, Dr. Zivjets, is for one thing, um, is there any way to detox from the mercury and the other adjuvants? that we receive in our in our childhood vaccines you know can can she help her grandchildren with a detox protocol and question number 2 is how do we go about securing a holistic pediatrician for our families sure um so now detox- i hear you well so good we're we're back in business go ahead detoxing the detoxing the older things um i I am not familiar with how to detox off of them, but that is something that I will definitely look into. You know, for the COVID things, I would, you know, I would look to, you know, maybe McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, or somebody like that. I know that they're using natokinase, EDTA chelation therapy, I think curcumin, uh, a, a couple of different things. So there's a couple different places to go that, like I said, I, I look up Dr. Peter McCullough. 
Uh, I would look up FLCCC, uh, which is like frontline doctors. Uh, they have some some ways to detox. Um, as far as um, as far as a naturopathic pediatrician, uh, you are more than welcome to get in touch with me. I can either um, see you over via telehealth or in person if I am available in your in your region. Uh, and if not, I can try and direct you to somebody who is naturopathic in your region. Uh, there is actually a very large uh, movement happening in medicine right now as we speak uh, where tons of doctors, I mean by the thousands right now, are leaving big pharmaceutical medicine uh, in in terms of, you know, dropping all of these things and going straight for a naturopathic approach, uh, which I think is very brilliant. Um, I've always been more geared towards naturopathy, even though I'm allopathically trained. Um, you know, even in med school, you learn about, you know, the first treatments for, for malaria and, and uh, so forth is, is quinine, which comes from chinsoa bark, which is natural. The first treatments that we had for pain comes from the poppy. The first treatment that we have for, uh, you know, reducing bleeding and reducing pain in small wounds is going to come from the coca. All of these things are very, very natural. They, they've used oregano seed oil for otitis for, for eons. Um, you know, they called the naturopaths quacks uh, back, back in the day for recommending elderberry and um, antioxidants like um, dandelion tea. Now they're all the rage because they work. Uh, so, you know, I think that you're going to see a, a major shift in, in better doctors, uh, you know, treating with naturopathy. So I'm, I'm more any way that I can. And how do people get in touch with you, doctor? Let's make that perfectly available to our audience before we run out of time here. Sure. So, so my website is uh, Uh Now, it's a little glitchy, and I still haven't completed it. Um, I, I don't have anybody working on it for me, so I'm just kind of uh, learning, learning how to mitigate the circumstances of dealing with that. Uh, but that's Z-Y-W-I-E-C, Zulu, Yankee, Whiskey, India, Echo, Charlie, and Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R.com. And they can, they can schedule appointments or they can uh, just reach out, uh, ask you know, anything for a consult or things like that. Okay, very good. Well, well so thank you for the explanation. I'll, I'll hang up now. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brenda. We really appreciate you calling. Hope you have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Have a good weekend. So um, we are uh, nearing the end of our program. I don't want to be rude to the following program. So um, I just want to say, first of all, just thank you so much, Dr. Zivjets. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being the courageous, outspoken voice that you are. Um, it's really ridiculous what happened as far as you getting removed from Twitter. Um, you were definitely targeted. Uh, yeah, been, I, I might be the most censored doctor in the States. I've been banned on every single platform for extended periods of time permanently on some. So. Yeah. And I would really like to do another interview coming up because there's, there's going to be a series of interviews where I'm not going to have the access to uh, the studio that I enjoy on most Fridays. I'll be away at certain times. So I'm going to have to do some pre-recorded shows. And I would love to get together with you again and just give you an opportunity to tell your life story, which I find to be a remarkable one. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to come on anytime, Jeremiah. Well, I appreciate that so much, Dr. Zivjets. And, uh, yeah, for all of you folks out there, thank you so much for your continued support of this program. We are making progress. People are hearing the discussions that we feature on this show. And I ask you, again, support the program in any way that you possibly can, whether it's buying a song, subscribing to my Substack, literally taking the time to share manually the links to the archives of our show. Go to podbean.com. Um, the show is The Baseline, and that's B-A-S-S-L-I-N-E, because, of course, I'm a bass player, so I don't mean the other spelling of baseline. I mean a baseline, like the funky baseline in your song. But um, everyone have a wonderful weekend. And uh, Dr. Zivjets, one last time, how can people get in touch with you really quickly? Because we have one minute to go, and I want to make it uh, perfectly clear for anyone who wants to reach you for your services. How do they do so? Sure. That's uh, www.zivjetsandporter.com. All words, Z-Y-W-I-E-C and Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R.com. Exactly. So thank you, everyone, for tuning into The Baseline. Thank you again, Dr. Zivjets. We have the amazing Ivor Cummins next week, which if you don't know about Ivor Cummins, we have to fix that right away. He was a real hero during the craziness of the pandemic scamdemic. So um, Ivor Cummins is a real treat. Next Friday, we have Steph Zamorano, Jimmy Dore's wife, uh, joining us the following week. So we got some great guests lined up. Stay tuned, and uh, thank you all. I wish you all a very pleasant and inspiring weekend. Peace. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. for The Baseline with me, Jeremiah Hosea, where we talk about culture, politics, the medical freedom conversation, and we take your calls on the people's airwaves. PRN. Live. Feel the warmth of the